Welcome to a new cutting edge episode of OTRs. And today's episode is unprecedented. 18 industry leading CAF experts came to an agreement on a new herd level passive immunity standard. Coming up with a consensus recommendation on CAF and herd level passive immunity for dairy calves in the United States. As always, OTRs, we're going to start with our big three takeaways. And the first one revolves around morbidity and mortality. The proposed model showed a statistically significant decrease in morbidity between the poor and fair passive transfer categories, displaying a 10% difference or reduction in morbidity between these categories. It also displayed a 5.7% difference between the good and excellent passive transfer categories. The model was also useful for showing mortality differences between poor and fair groups and between fair and good groups. Both of these areas totaling a 50% reduction in mortality between these two groups. Number two, big takeaway OTRs, controlling disease. The researchers and data agreed that animals with elevated IgG concentrations greater than 24 grams per liter had significant decreases in morbidity. And this model that they proposed suggests a drop from 46.1% morbidity in the lowest group to 28.5% morbidity in the excellent group. And this was modeled using survival curves, showing the distinct difference between these categories. Finally, OTRs, big takeaway number three, achieving excellence. Calves that were administered colostrum in one of two ways, either a single feeding of 3.3 liters of colostrum at about two hours after birth, or a multi-feeding system with the first feeding of about 2.7 liters of colostrum at 2.8 hours of age, and another feeding bringing the total to approximately 5.3 liters would achieve the excellent IgG grouping category. And this was determined from that NOMS data that forms a foundation for this agreement which showed the average colostrum treatment required to achieve this excellent benchmark. The ultimate message, OTRs, is that it's time to revisit that classic dichotomous scale of pass or fail for transfer of passive immunity. This study seeks to break the stereotype that an animal with less than two-tenths of a point of total protein difference is somehow more protected than one with two-tenths of a point higher. The proposed method by which herd-level passive immunity competency can be assessed and improved breaks down into excellent, good, fair, and poor classifications and seeks to address normal variation within herd-wide populations while also properly conveying the risk associated with that variation. So stay tuned, OTRs, for a brand new standard in dairy calf care medicine. Welcome back, operators and owners. Dr. Eric Rooker here, bringing you another episode of Thoughts from the Truck. Today we'll recap some of Wednesday's episode and talk about some tips and tricks to help you more easily facilitate the creation of your professional development plan. So without further ado, we'll roll the intro and get right into the episode. Welcome back, OTRs. Today's article is titled Consensus Recommendations on calf and herd level passive immunity in dairy calves in the United States. 
and was published in the Journal of Dairy Science. And you're going to have to forgive me, Otiores. Forgive my inner geek. But this direct quote sounds like one of my favorite movie intros. Considering that improvements in dairy calf morbidity have not paralleled improvements in colostrum management and mortality, a group of calf experts were assembled to review the available data and consider revisiting the individual calf transfer of passive immunity standard and developing a new herd level standard. Sound familiar? It sounds like this 80s movie. If you have a problem, if no one else can help you, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team. Just wait till you hear the author list on this article to yours. It is truly the A-team of calf care. Now, you'll have to forgive me, again, as usual, if I mispronounce a name, but it is the A-team of calf care. We have Lombard, Yuri, Gary, Godden, Quigley, Earlywine, McGurk, Moore, Brandon, Shamaro, Smith, Shively, Catherman, Haynes, Heinrichs, James Moss, and Sterner. A variable who's who of calf care in the United States. And where did this study take place? Of course, in the United States, using research from the USDA. And the objective of this study was to evaluate different threshold values for transfer of passive immunity and its relationship to morbidity and mortality using the available data and to come to a consensus on calf and herd level transfer of passive immunity standards. A secondary objective was to provide colostrum management recommendations to meet those consensus standards. So let's set the framework like we always do OTRs with some really interesting background information. Now, the authors agreed that the term passive transfer of immunity is not so much correct as saying transfer of passive immunity, as you've heard me say and describe in that objective section. So from here on out, you'll hear me say transfer of passive immunity instead of passive transfer of immunity, or TPI, as we'll refer to it through the rest of this summary. Evaluation of TPI is done by the evaluation of calf serum, plasma IgG, or total protein. And this serves as a proxy for adequate ingestion of other non-immunoglobulin factors such as nutrients or growth factors in colostrum. Since 1993, failure of passive transfer events have decreased from a 41% observable rate as found by the USDA to a 13% observable rate in 2018 as observed by URI. This has corresponded with a 4.4% decrease in heifer mortality rates during the subsequent time period. But in that same time period, pre-weaned morbidity has not declined significantly to match those changes, resulting in a drop only from 36.1% to 33.1%. Currently, failure passive transfer or successful passive transfer is defined as IgG concentrations less than or greater than 10 grams per liter in a yes-no fashion. However, research by Yuri in 2018 showed significant reductions in mortality of calves with greater than 15 grams per liter of IgG. And Furman and Windier in 2011 and 2014 added that elevated IgG levels also affect morbidity in calves as well. This research 
coupled with research by Waldner and Rosengrins in 2009, Dewell in 2006, and Sherry in 2015, all showed that animals with elevated IgG concentrations greater than 24 grams per liter, 27 grams per liter, 26 grams per liter, or higher respectively, had significantly decreased morbidities as well as other notable advantages over calves with lower IgG concentrations. Given this new research, it was clear that a new standard needed to be set for evaluating passive transfer in dairy calves. So what did the authors do or how did they do this? What were their methods? And the data set used for this analysis was pulled from that NOMS dairy data in 2014, the Calf Component Study. And this study evaluated heifer calves from birth to weaning, tracking colostrum source, amount, timing of administration, and IgG concentration. They also tracked serum IgG, serum total protein, BRICS percent, health conditions, and mortality events as well. To qualify the data set, blood had to be collected greater than 24 hours of age, less than 7 days of age. They had to have a serum IgG of greater than 1, total proteins of less than 11 grams per deciliter, and a BRICS greater than 15%. They also had to have been fed maternal colostrum and not replacer or supplement. Once filtered, this data set represented 2,360 heifer calves over 103 operations. Overall, they reported a 34.3% morbidity rate and a 3.2% mortality rate. Because the existing dichotomous structure that greater than or less than 10 grams per liter of IgG was too simplistic, the authors agreed that new options had to be entertained. And it was agreed that the system should encourage a passive transfer standard of greater than 24 grams per liter of IgG, as this was the number proposed and used in many recent beef calf studies. Due to the more intensive rearing systems in dairy calves, the authors agreed that dairy cutoffs should be higher than these beef calf study cutoffs due to the increased risk and exposure. After statistical analysis was done on this NOMS data set, four options were given to the expert panel to create a new herd level classification system. The goal of these options was to provide realistic and achievable recommendations for commercial dairy herds. Each option can be found in the show notes, and I'm not going to go through each one because of how complex these numbers are, and it would be boring and hard to picture. But again, refer to those show notes, those podcast notes, if you want to see each of the different options. Ultimately, the authors were seeking a Goldilocks option, one that wasn't too broad and grouped animals inappropriately, but wasn't too narrow, which would make it too complex for practical use. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall listening to these experts bat ideas back and forth and debate the merit of each option. But ultimately, they decided. Option one was eliminated because the highest cut point for this option was 20 grams per liter. It was too low based upon that beef research. Option number two was eliminated because the middle category spanned from 10 to 24.9 grams per liter of IgG, which was deemed too wide and didn't adequately model the risks associated with being on the upper or lower end of these models. 
Option number three was actually selected, but there was concern because most vets, consultants, and owners were used to a two-category system, and this system was a four-category system, which might be less attractive. And finally, option number four was eliminated because it was a five-category system, and the authors felt that this was too complex and narrowed the IgG ranges too much. So ultimately, option number three was selected, and it formed four groups. These groups were excellent, good, fair, and poor. The excellent group was greater than 25 grams per liter of serum IgG or greater than 6.2 total protein. The good group was 18 to 25 grams per liter of serum IgG or 5.8 to 6.1 total protein. The fair group was 10 to 17.9 grams per liter of serum IgG or 5.1 to 5.7 total protein. And finally, the poor group at less than 10 serum IgG or less than 5.1 total protein. So ultimately, what was the result when they finally picked a model through these methods? What they found was that option number three, which from here on out will be the only one I discuss, displayed statistically significant decreases in morbidity percentages between the poor and fair categories with a 10% difference in morbidity, going from 46.1% to 36.1%. This model also showed differences between the excellent and good categories, displaying a 5.7% difference between these categories in morbidity, going from a 34.8% to a 28.5% morbidity. There was, however, no difference between the middle two categories of good and fair when it came to morbidity. The herd level model also displayed improvements of overall mortality between the poor and fair groups, going from 7.4% to 3.8% net reduction, which is almost a 50% reduction in mortality. There was also observable changes in mortality between the fair and good groups, with mortality improving again by over 50%, with a reduction from 3.8% mortality rate to 1.5% mortality rate. Finally, the authors, using the model that they picked, were able to create survival curves as related to each group, excellent, good, fair, and poor. While no changes in either morbidity or mortality were noted until seven to 10 days of age between these groups, the difference became quickly evident after that. And this is readily evident when one inspects the survival curves. And I'll include those survival curves within our OTO Facebook group to help facilitate discussion of this article. Once you see them OTOers and the stark difference between each of these four categories, I think you'll get an idea of why I find this research so compelling. This predictive model tends to model morbidity very, very well. And they made a graph showing the actual data versus the model's graphed line. And I'll put this data again, or this graph, in our OTO Facebook group at otovets.com forward slash Facebook if you haven't joined yet. And it shows just how tightly the morbidity of this model and the actual morbidity are related. Now, mortality is a little overestimated in this model, but it still closely mimics the real data from NOMS. 
given these results, given everything that the authors considered, what were their conclusions? And the author's conclusions were that it's time to change the classic threshold of 10 grams per liter of serum IgG as a cutoff for transfer of passive immunity failure. The consensus among these industry-leading experts included four serum IgG categories, excellent, good, fair, and poor. And these categories matched up with greater than or equal to 25 grams per liter of serum IgG, 18 to 24.9 grams per liter of serum IgG, 17.9 to 10 grams per liter of serum IgG, and less than 10 grams per liter of serum IgG, with the goal for each of these categories being 40%, 30%, 20%, and 10% respectively. The goal overall of this recommendation is to both reduce morbidity and mortality risk factors in the newborn calves due to transfer of passive immunity. Now, what are my thoughts about this article? And I've been waiting a long time to talk to you guys about this. There's a lot of data and a lot of background to set this up, but this A-team of calf consultants is really looking to shake up the dairy world. In an industry that loves yes or no answers, they are proposing a solution with four potential categories. However, the need to evolve this area of dairy farm management to match new research discoveries is undeniable once you look at those introductory or background facts. The authors had a great example for you readers and listeners to consider. They said, if you have two calves, one with a serum IgG concentration of 9.8 grams per liter and another with a 10.2 gram per liter serum IgG concentration. The first calf is considered to be at greater risk of disease, whereas the second calf should be at less risk. The small difference in serum IgG concentration placed on these calves in different risk categories when there is likely very little or no difference in risk. As an alternative example, the current dichotomous standard suggests that two calves with serum IgG concentrations of 10.5 and 20 are similarly well protected against risk of disease. Although data shows that the calf with the higher level of transfer of passive immunity is less likely to develop disease. Multiple categories may more accurately place calves in categories consistent with risk on the farm. Quite a mouthful, but great examples of why we need a new system. And the cumulative effect of current research suggests that while the cutoff point of 10.5 grams per liter of serum IgG is good enough for negating much of the mortality effect, it has a negligible effect on morbidity. In addition, recent revelations about the importance of other growth and nutritional components in colostrum suggest that it was time to revisit this cutoff and modernize it. The biggest difficulty the authors seemed to have experienced was the need for a recommendation that was not too complex, but was not too simplistic as to miss differences in risk. But ultimately, they decided that this four-tier system was best for classifying transfer of passive immunity. And those tiers again broke down into that excellent, good, fair, and poor. And this recommendation 
is quite interesting as it focuses in on the transfer of passive immunity as the herd-wide subject. This suggests it might be a better tool for the analysis of colostrum and day one neonatal management versus actionable steps for a single calf. And this follows recent trends that seek to increase IgG volume cutoffs within calves, such as research that has been recently published by Zoetis suggesting that a 6.0 total protein value should become the new standard cutoff for failure of passive transfer when evaluating dairy calves. To make this data a little more actionable for you, the listener, I think it's important to make the translation for you from grams per liter of serum IgG to something that's more field applicable, such as total protein or BRICS percent. So let me break the categories down for you like that. For the excellent grouping, it's a total protein greater than or equal to 6.2 or a BRICS percent greater than or equal to 9.4. For the good category, is a total protein that's between 5.8 and 6.1 and a BRICS percent between 8.9 and 9.3. For the FAIR category, is a total protein between 5.1 and 5.7 and a BRICS percent between 8.1 and 8.8. And finally, for the POOR category, is a total protein less than 5.1 or less than 8.1% on the BRICS scale. And this should provide a comprehensive method for you to measure no matter how your operations or your clinic chooses to track or analyze this metric. Another aspect I love about this recommendation is that it provides a stretch goal or a goal outside of our current average in the U.S. dairy industry. Now, according to the NOMS data, excellent, good, fair, and poor categories represent 35%, 25%, 27%, and 12% of animals, respectively. Now, the authors chose to elevate specifically the upper two categories and decrease the bottom two with their recommended goals of 40% excellent calves, 30% good calves, 20% fair calves, and 10% poor calves within a herd's population. And this provided a little bit of wiggle room for almost every dairy to grow and improve. Once you begin to use these numbers and to break down your operations scores, you're going to get that inevitable question of how they can reach that excellent level or those excellent level calves. To achieve that excellence level, the authors went back to that NOMS data and looked at the animals that qualified for that category. And those animals were treated in one of two ways. Either number one, on average, they got a single feeding of approximately 3.3 liters of colostrum within two hours of birth, which got the serum IgG averages to 32 grams per liter, or they got an average of a multi-feeding system with the first feeding being approximately 2.7 liters at approximately 2.8 hours of age and a subsequent feeding bringing the total volume to approximately 5.3 liters which got serum IgG averages to 33.9 grams per liter, or slightly higher than that of the single feeding system. Now, both systems seem like feasible options to me on commercial herds, but on smaller herds or mid-sized herds like many of my clients are, the double feeding option may actually be preferred to increase the offered colostrum volume 
if we're suffering from administration timing issues due to labor or milking flow. Also of note, the authors recommended that all of this colostrum that is fed test at least 50 grams per liter of colostral IgG concentration. And this would equate to green on a colostrometer at 72 degrees Fahrenheit and greater than 22% on a BRIX. As we discussed in part one of our 30 ways in 30 days, which you can find three episodes ago, this consulting program, specifically monitoring calf statistical values, can prove to be a great area for consulting growth. Now, specifically Williams in 2014 showed that educational programs that utilize targets such as the proposed one by these authors in this study can improve outcomes at the herd level. Again, reinforcing what we talked about in that podcast. While disease-free young stock is a multifaceted problem and is not holistically dependent on the result of transfer of passive immunity, this program will provide a standard guideline for the industry to be able to follow into the future. If I was to concentrate on developing this as a service or a consulting opportunity with my clients, I would probably do it in two parts. First, I'd collect as much data as possible from my clients, gathering total proteins for as many dairies as I can or collecting them myself to create a data set. All the while, I would be emailing them with the results as relative to the recommended 6.0 total protein value. Next, I'd compile all the herd level datas into a spreadsheet and begin to rank it on the recommended scale here, providing individual snapshots as well as a comprehensive practice-wide snapshot. And this will give you a breakdown versus the recommendation from these authors and allow you to facilitate the conversation about altering or auditing colostrum management practices within your clients. For those of you who are more interested, I will show you some of the pending documents I'm making to present to my team at our Thursday Mastermind Group at 4 p.m. Central U.S. time. To join me and to see those documents, simply join us at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. Well, OTRs, that's all I have time for today. I hope you guys found this article as informative as I did, and it's so heavy in potential, I can't wait to see how we're able to apply it within my practice. I look forward to our discussions about this within our OTO group. And until next time, OTOs, carry on. If you like this content and want more, you can stop by the Operators Owners website at otovets.com. There you can sign up for our community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. You can also consume some of our original content at the blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time, OTRs.